You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. With Chicago Bears training camp just about to get started here in a couple of days, I go through eight topics I think every single Bears fan needs to be paying attention to as the tweet storms start to roll in about what's going on at practice. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, Bears fans, and welcome back to Bear With Me, and it has been admittedly a while. This is a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network, where folks like me, Lester Wilfong, Jeff Breckis, and EJ Snyder are set and ready to give you the best NFL content that we possibly can, especially content focused on the Chicago Bears. Now, it is currently Tuesday, July 23rd from where I'm sitting right now, and that means that only this Saturday we are about five days away from training camp kicking off, which is awesome because it's the dawn of the 2019 season. I know I've watched enough replays of 2018. I've replayed that double doink. I've watched all the games over and over again, and if you're like me, you're right about ready to move on. Also, sorry it took so long to get around to making another podcast episode. With that Bilal Nichols breakdown that I just recently released on YouTube, by the way, you should go check that out if you haven't. It's some of the best and most detailed work that I've done on the rookie Bilal Nichols. I just ate my life. I spent so much time on that that I didn't have loose brain cells to do a podcast with, but thankfully there also wasn't a whole lot going on or things to talk to you about. But thankfully, now I have something. Because it's training camp, and I'll be able to go. I'll get to team up with EJ Snyder and Jeff Brickus, as well as anybody else we can pretty much find as we do daily reaction podcasts to the first three days of camp. So that's Saturday, the not-padded practice, Sunday, the first padded practice, and Monday, the day after that. Renting an Airbnb, we'll be in Bourbon A. You want to come meet us? Just come out to camp, and we'll be right there, ready to hang out with you. But training camp is one of my favorite topics because we finally get to see the players do something. And we get to see it up close as they prep for the real football season. Not OTAs, not the draft, not free agency, not speculative stuff. We get to watch them actually play football in some form and take a look at how they've grown over this offseason. I think that's really key because there are a lot of guys you need to hear that from, but also a lot of guys that you're going to hear it from whether it's true or not. That shouldn't be a surprise to you. We have players every single year that get talked up by their front offices and their coaching staff says, wow, they're having the best offseason of their life, or oh my gosh, these people are doing amazing. What an offseason. Last year, it was Kevin White. Remember? The guy who was in the best shape of his life? The guy who posted that picture flexing and showing just an array of muscles that made him look very, very physically impressive right before he, well didn't do anything in 2018 and saw every almost every single one of his snaps taken away by not only just Josh Bellamy, but Anthony Miller, Taylor Gabriel, and Allen Robinson. He got all of his stuff taken away, but remember, it was, it was the best offseason of his life, and he was in the best shape he's ever been in. 
So that reminds me of Leonard Floyd this year. I'm not saying that's the case. I certainly hope young Floyd is going to be able to take that step forward. But a lot of the offseason talk I'm hearing from Pace and Nagy seems very fluffy. And for a guy who's right about to hit that fifth-year option, for a guy that kind of needs his market drummed up a little bit and needs to have that really good season and needs to be confident, he's a very key piece, even though he's further down the chain than plenty. I mean, maximum you're going to see Floyd in a list of top and most important Bears starters is somewhere between sixth and eighth. It seems a little manufactured to me. I know. Totally opinion. Feel free to disagree, but the Floyd talk does seem to be a little bit, uh, yeah, I'll go with manufactured. I think that's a good word. But that's the reason that I'm on this podcast right now is because I want to talk to you about the things that I do think you need to be watching for because there are going to be a lot of tweets out there. There are going to be a lot of people wanting to, whether it's making a name for themselves or whether it's they don't know what to watch for, you're going to hear, wow, Akeem Hicks really totally dominated Alex Bars. Or you're going to see Khalil Mack just ate Charles Leno's lunch. You're going to see tons and tons and tons of tweets and you need to know what to watch for because there's only so many things, in my opinion, that actually matter in training camp. Things like rookie development. How do players look? Is Steven Denmark going to look like he belongs in the NFL? Does Duke Shelley look as good as everybody says he does? I'll distill the topics for you because you don't need to hear about the best. Some of these guys are clear starters and it almost doesn't matter. Like Allen Robinson. I sure hope that he comes off his injury well, don't get me wrong, but I doubt that we need to see more than basic, hey, his legs are working from training camp because he's a really good player. And you just don't desperately need to prove to yourself that he's going to be great because you've already seen him prove it, not only in Jacksonville, not only last year when he was able to play, but with that body of work, all he's really got to do is prove that his body is still working, that he hasn't lost a step in any crazy fashion, and he should be the same Allen Robinson that we've seen before. So I've got eight topics for you that should give you exactly what you need to pay attention to. The number one things, there'll be things that I'll certainly try to answer with my own tweets over this weekend. Crazy to think this this weekend, by the way. Really wild to think that we're actually through the NFL offseason. We've made it, Bears fans. We're right about to get real football. But enough of me rambling on and on and on. Let's get started with thing number one. Did Bilal Nichols successfully get stronger like he said he would? And for those of you who don't know, Bilal Nichols needed to get stronger in this offseason because the Patriots, as well as plenty of other teams all across the NFL, attacked him explicitly whenever they were running the football. He wasn't near as strong on the point of attack as Goldman or Hicks, which is to be expected due to the 30-pound difference between those three players, Nichols being at 300 pounds and Hicks and Goldman being at about 330 but he still needs to be able to hold that point of attack, especially against single blocks. Double blocks? Eh, maybe. He's a really, really fast player who can rush the passer well, but he needs to be that guy who can at least hold the point of attack, which is kind of the bare minimum for an outside defensive end uh, in the formation. If you're not going to play nose tackle, you're going to be playing defensive end. Nichols plays a little bit of both, but when he's on his end responsibilities, he has got to be able to hold that tackle and at least delay the running back so that the linebackers can get over and make a play, stop him for a minimal gain instead of allowing that three, four, or more yards. Nichols needs to get stronger. He said he wants to, so it's more a matter of, well, did he? 
Did he manage to do it? Did the lifting pay off? Did his frame soak up the muscle? Can you see the difference in his play? Is he going to be able to retain that quickness? I would assume so. If he hasn't gained a ton of weight, which he said wasn't the plan, I would imagine that quickness is still going to be there, especially if he gets leaner. He might get even faster, but that's sort of stretching it. The main and most important thing you need to be watching for is how do, how well does he play against his opposing offensive linemen, and when they try to power block him, how does he respond? Yeah, he'll be playing against teammates, but if we can see him against guys like Leno and Massey, we're going to get a good picture of what he'll look like when he's facing teams with players that are actually trying to block him, like David Bakhtari or any of the other Packers linemen in Week 1. Bilal Nichols getting stronger is really key for his development, and if he can, he will quickly become a starting-level lineman that comes out of the rotation. I say that he'll come out of the rotation simply because the Bears played so much nickel formation last year. And yes, I'm aware that was Fangio, and now we have Pagano, but just because Pagano likes to blitz doesn't mean he's not going to be playing nickel. This is a pass-heavy NFL, and nickel's a great, great formation that allows you some flexibility against the run when you've got players like Hakeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman that are kind of able to both pressure the passer and stop that run more or less by themselves because, generally speaking, the nickel formation gives up that extra defensive lineman, so you lose that beef up on the front line. You would expect to lose in the run a little bit more, but they don't because they're Goldman and Hicks. It's great. Uh, it makes them really perfect for the nickel setup. I don't know if Pagano will continue to play it, but if he does, that means that Nichols will continue to come off the bench, and if he can provide a full starting level lineman coming off the bench, a la Manu Ginobili of the Spurs, the whole sixth man attitude in basketball, I really think that the Bears' defensive line is going to benefit greatly. I could keep going about Nichols. I know way more about him than I expected to when I started that video process, but we've got to move on. I've got seven other topics I want to cover. So number one, once again, did Bilal Nichols get stronger? We'll find out at camp. Number two, who's up and who's down at receiver? You knew that this question was coming, but it has a whole lot of component parts. How does Allen Robinson look coming off of his ACL? Does Anthony Miller look better than he did last year he'd already established his place in the NFL circle on the Bears last year at camp will he look even better even more dominant or will he look just as dominant he could be a Steve Smith like in terms of just raw competitiveness total domination at his receiver spot with his size and physical profile but we'll have to see I personally don't know what an uninjured Anthony Miller looks like because from what I understand, we watched him play through an injury basically all of last year. So I'm curious, does it make a difference? Is Emmanuel Hall going to be able to stay healthy? Who is going to excel on special teams? Will Cordero Patterson line up more at wide receiver or running back? There are a lot of questions here for this receiver group, and a lot of them are, I mean, they're both at the top, but they're also at the bottom. Which Bears are going to be able to make it? I really believe that Emmanuel Hall's entire path into the NFL comes on whether he'll be healthy or not. Not to mention, there's there's the off-field stuff, but let's stick to what matters and what we can talk about. And that's the fact that from what I understand, every single time that Emmanuel Hall starts to run at full speed, he gets hurt. His body basically can't handle his own size and speed that he's able to generate. And until he's able to do that... I can't really count him among the quote-unquote chickens uh, that have hatched among the bears. He's still an egg. He's still a potential piece. And that's what you wanted of a UDFA. And in that regard, great UDFA pickup, in my opinion. But 
for him to actually matter, for him to make the team, for him to become anything other than somebody who gets hurt and gets stashed on the IR for next year so that maybe he can contribute in 2020, we'll have to see him at minimum stay healthy. Who's Riley Ridley going to be? I don't know. Uh, I really don't. I haven't watched a ton of his film, not to mention... I always find it hard to project receivers from college to the NFL. That's just me. Uh, the deficiency of mine as a scout that hasn't done this for long enough, especially related to draft content. But I want to see him. I want to see if he's able to outright push Wims off the roster or if Wims will stick around because, as we saw in that Week 17 Vikings game, Javon Wims is a pretty darn good player. Certainly a nice one to have around. I doubt the Bears are going to be able to dangle any of their guys as trade chips. That certainly seems like aggressively optimistic thinking, considering that what you're basically saying when you say, hey, I wonder if we can trade any of these guys is, can the guys who can't stick on our roster, people that would be cut for nothing at all, become something in trade packages? That seems optimistic again. Because a lot of these teams are just going to wait and say, you know, they, Chicago has to cut somebody. Let's just wait for that, and then we'll pick him up for free. I'm curious about whether Marvin Hall is going to be able to stick on the roster. I believe that if the Bears are going to push for a Super Bowl, they need better special teams. To get better special teams, partially you need better coordinating. Certainly the Bears' special teams coordinator, Tabor, was not phenomenal last year. But most importantly, you need better special teams players. That means you need athletes. That means you need guys at the bottom of the roster that are able to fly down the field, make tackles, return the ball well, set up blocks, yada, 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 yada. From what I understand, Marvin Hall is a returner, but if he's able to be that Josh Bellamy-esque role who can tackle like Sherrick McManus, who is the Bears' notable special teams ace, then I think that that would certainly help his case to make the roster. Won't surprise me if Cordero Patterson ends up a running back uh, just due to the way that the receiver position will shake out and the fact that the run Bears running back room only has four in it, and a lot of them are very similar. I like Kareth White, but if there was one guy who was going to be a surprise cut, I think it might be him, as the Bears might try to push him onto the practice squad, considering how raw and underdeveloped he is. Cordero Patterson is a big fast, proven NFL player, not to mention in an offense that, from what I understand, is pretty complicated uh, that Matt Nagy's running. I'm very, very curious to know how much of the playbook Cordero Patterson's able to pick up. Certainly, my thinking is it might be easier to just stick him in the backfield in two running back sets or even some single running back sets, hand him the ball, point a direction, and say, go run that way. His speed is game-changing. And as a receiver, he's in a log jam, deep log jam. But as a running back, he would serve a nice change of pace from David Montgomery, Mike Davis, and Tariq Cohen as this straight-line big burner. There's a lot going on at the Bears wide receiver uh, spot, and you've got to keep your eyes on it because it is, and everybody knows this, the position group to follow. But talking about Patterson as a running back is a great segue into talking about point number three. Is David Montgomery NFL fast, NFL regular speed, or NFL slow? So if you remember my previews of David Montgomery, the only real thing that I saw that was a negative on his part was that I don't know if he's fast per se. And I can't tell. And if I can't tell that a guy's fast, I start to worry that they're outright slow. And I don't know. I can't say I know. This is the reason it's number three on my list of things to watch for at training camp is because I want to see him against other proven NFL players. How does he look when he's facing Trevathan? Can Roquan Smith run him down without problem? Is Eddie Jackson going to be able to get to him immediately or will it take a little bit? All these things are the difference between a guy gaining six yards on a seam or 25. Seriously, it's a big deal. 
I totally believe in David Montgomery's ability to run the inside zone exactly like Matt Nagy wants him to. I personally believe all the hype about him being a better receiver than he was in college. That doesn't make him an amazing receiver, but at least that Mark Ingram level fluid catch, turn, run, take advantage of the space. I think that Montgomery is a really, really good fit for the Bears and going to be a much more productive running back than Jordan Howard. And yeah, I know Bears fans, that's wild to hear, but I'm talking on a yards per carry basis, not a total yards, because Howard got 250 some odd carries last year, and I really doubt Montgomery gets more than just over 200, if not at or around 180-190. But if he can put up a solid 4.4 or 4.8 wide PC, that'll be really great. Seriously, to me, the big difference between whether he's going to be a star outright or just a pretty good running back is if his foot speed is fast enough to make big plays in the NFL. Like Kareem Hunt, he doesn't have to be a blazer, he just has to be not slow. So, number three, is David Montgomery NFL's fast or NFL foot speed? Number four, I want to see how the safeties line up. So, Eddie Jackson and HaHa, how do they line up together? Because Eddie Jackson is unquestionably becoming one of the NFL's premier free safeties. Premier free safeties. And HaHa Clinton Dix is, he's not a strong safety. And I know that the Bears could theoretically run with two free safeties. I mean, you can. But before Bears fans go wild and crazy remembering Adrian Amos as some guy who wasn't able to play the football or generate turnovers, let's not forget how often he came downfield to make hits on guys either running flare routes or hitting the running back that had squeezed through both of the linebackers and the line. We need somebody who's able to come up and make tackles, and ideally you don't want it to be Jackson, because Jackson's not a bad tackler, but he's not really a great tackler either. He's also not absurdly fast, and he's a t- I mean, he hurt his ankle last year. I would prefer it, if at all possible, if Jackson could do as little in the trenches tackling as possible. That theoretically means you need a hitter side or next to him, and that's not Ha Ha Clinton Dix. Ha Ha Clinton Dix, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but I did write a big article on him earlier. That guy is not a very good tackler. And yeah, a lot of that's because he gets sold out in one-on-one uh, tackling situations in the open field, but that's what safeties have to do. I mean, they get set up in one-on-one situations all the time, and HaHa will lower his shoulders and just make these tackling attempts that make him look like a peewee football player on the wrong end of the highlight reel, where he dips his shoulders way too much, lurches way too far into the tackle, and the guy just runs right by him. It's, it's a mess. So this all makes me curious as to whether or not Dion Bush is going to play a bigger role in the safety room than we realize he would when HaHa Clinton Dix got signed. If Bush has taken a step forward with the notable DB legend that is Chuck Pagano, I really wouldn't be too surprised if Bush might play a bigger role in a safety rotation setting where maybe he and Jackson, Bush and Jackson that is, play a good bit together and HaHa Clinton Dix is there not only to play in double free safety sets but also to provide actual quality depth for Eddie Jackson because let's not forget the biggest problem the Bears had in the playoff game is that Eddie Jackson got hurt and we did not have another free safety on the roster. We had Deion Bush and Adrian Amos, and Bush tried his best, and so did Amos, but we saw what happened, where Foles would go after Amos throwing those deep floater balls that all Bears fans looked at and thought, that's disgusting. That's because they were, but it's also because we didn't have a free safety to stop them from happening. Now we do. If Jackson goes down, we have HaHa Clinton Dix, which is really, really valuable. It just makes me wonder, how are they going to line up together? I want to see it. 
what does Pagano have planned? So we'll know at camp. And trust me, I'll be watching to tell you. Number five, you probably knew this was coming on a list of eight things, but I want to know about Trubisky's command. <laughs> Obviously, you know. Last year, from everything I heard from training camp, because, again, I live in Dallas and I wasn't able to go, Trubisky was kind of underwhelming at camp. He didn't have the touch. He was very inconsistent, threw plenty of picks. I don't think that we're going to find out that he's somehow elite in training camp, but I did want to make it a point to just mention this year it is going to be important to know that Trubisky is the leader that he's in charge large and in charge knows where things are on the offense operates it fluidly in camp he's going to make plenty of mistakes camp is the time to push the ball to make bad throws but I want to see him start to develop that consistency that we desperately need him to have come season time he needs to be more consistent we all know it he was very very inconsistent last year and when he was on he looked incredible think about uh, an archetypal inconsistent game from Trubisky think about week two against the Seahawks he had those terrible interceptions the one that was a total underthrown ball to Allen Robinson the one that was a tipped ball at the line of scrimmage that he never should have thrown through two linebackers and then he followed it up the next drive after with a fadeaway throw to Cohen that was just a thing of beauty and later in the game he threw that dart to Anthony Miller that I analyzed in a big old Nagy video different one also worth watching but the point is that there's a lot of inconsistency in Trubisky's game, and at training camp, we'll get a better picture over whether he was able to stabilize his throwing platform, get his fundamentals figured out. Is he able to keep that touch on the ball while pushing it downfield? I don't know. We'll have to see. Can't wait to see it at training camp. That's number five. Number six, how do James Daniels and Cody Whitehair look in their new positions? This question is a fairly subtle one, but I think it's pretty important considering that Daniels and Whitehair did flip positions. Remember that Cody Whitehair started out his NFL career in 2016 as a center that was originally going to be a guard, but then was pushed into the duty at center and played really well. And normally, when you get a good center, you try not to mess with it. Then in 2018, after some snapping issues that were a little overblown, but also not exactly amazing, it looks as if they have transitioned him back into that guard role while taking James Daniels, the now only 21-year-old uh, who's graduated college. Congrats to you, James, by the way. And they're moving him back to his natural position at center. This is effectively what he was drafted for in the second round. He's an outstandingly talented player that I know our own offensive line guru, Lester Wiltfong, absolutely adores doors but it's still something that i think is really important to watch as lesser says what you generally want to do with offensive linemen is you want to pick a position for them and leave them there for the rest of their lives let them gain that chemistry let them really learn that position don't make them change up their footwork at all make sure that they can take the same drop back step every single time it's the reason by the way that you don't move a right tackle over to left tackle or back and forth all that often because they've got to literally drop back with a different foot everything is reversed it's like asking a right-handed person to just use their left hand all the time doesn't really work very similar with tackles from what lester has told me so I want to know how they're going to fit in this new position. How do Trubisky and Daniels get along? Is it going to help or hurt that Whitehair's right there next to him, able to help him make calls, or, well, maybe he doesn't see the game properly? I assume he will. I assume the best of things, but this is really more a pass-fail check. Do they look fine, or are there problems? It's something to watch. It's not something that needs to be studied or worried about tremendously, but it is something to pay attention to. That's number six. Now on to number seven. Is Duke Shelley, sixth-round pick out of this latest draft, a legitimate challenger to Buster Scrine's starting nickel spot? 
If so, I have to think that's a positive development for the Bears. Shelly, from everything I'm hearing from camp, is a major annoyance to the offense. And <laughs> honestly, that's what you want to hear. Not to mention Eddie Jackson on uh, Bill Zimmerman's podcast, Bears Banter, who he was able to have on. When Bill asked him which of the rookies is his favorite rookie, he said Duke Shelley. Apparently Duke is, in Jackson's words, a dog. And I love that. I love hearing that. Uh, because that's, well, obviously that's a term of endearment that a lot of these players use to describe players that are scrappy and play really well. But if you're getting praise from Eddie Jackson, you're obviously doing something right. Not to mention, if Shelly is able to rise up and take that nickel spot away from Scrine, it would just be another feather in Ryan Pace's drafting cap, because he drafted him in the sixth round. Sixth rounders almost never do anything. And there's this old adage in the NFL, It's well it's not that old, but it's fairly old, it's becoming almost routine, that nowadays NFL teams know that if you wait on a good corner that just misses a couple of those physical traits, like he's not quite fast enough, or his arms aren't quite long enough, or he's a little short, and in Duke's case, he is a little short, 5'8", 5'9", that you can get a steal out of a slack corner. And NFL teams are starting to load some of their best weapons into the slot, whether that's Odell Beckham Jr., or Jarvis Landry, or Allen Robinson, who we put in the slot pretty often. You need a good nickel defender, and if Shelley's able to become that, that is really great to hear. I know that Matt Nagy is on record and on video as saying that he thinks Buster Scrine is one of the best nickels in the NFL, but when I watch the film, I don't see it. I see a guy who's pretty good. Certainly, he's got a lot of NFL experience between his time on the Jets and the Browns, but I see him as kind of a super backup. What I see Scrine as, personally, is somebody who's able to play nickel and he's able to play outside. And we have two corners in Fuller and Mukamura who are both very, very, well, they're good, but they're also injury prone. With Fuller, that's admittedly not overwhelmingly fair, given that he's played all 16 games four out of his five seasons as an NFL player, only missing that 2016 season due to that knee scope that apparently was one of the worst knee scopes ever, uh, according to the fact that, you know, he missed an entire season for it. But on the other side of Kyle Fuller, we have Prince Amukamura who in his now ninth year as a professional football player has finished one of eight of his seasons playing all 16 games. Now, he has played a 13-game season, a 14-game season, another 14-game season, a 15-game season, and a 16-game season, five out of those eight seasons, but still... If you're going to miss some time, I think that somebody like Scrine is a better option than Kevin Tolliver is, assuming Tolliver hasn't just blossomed into a crazy corner yet. With that in mind, I think Scrine's a good player, certainly a decent one to have on the team, a little pricey, but hey, you can do worse uh, in a team strapped for cash, kinda. Uh, but anyways, if Shelley is able to rise up and take that spot away from him and become the kind of nickel that Callahan was, that's going to be a big win for this Bears defense. Certainly, it'll be kind of a funny situation, as I know plenty of Bears fans were very upset with Ryan Pace for letting go of Bryce Callahan, the very, very talented nickelback that we'd picked up as an undrafted free agent. But if Ryan Pace is able to replace Callahan with a sixth-round rookie, well, wouldn't that just be how a good GM does it? You can't bet on the draft for everything, certainly especially since Ryan Pace's drafting has been downright incredible, found his stroke at an outright unsustainable rate. Seriously, Bears fans, we can't expect this kind, this 2011 Seattle kind of drafting goodness forever, but for now, if we can get another good one out of Shelley, I will, I will take it and I will laugh all the way to the bank. If we can get a good solid nickel out of him, that would be excellent. If we can't, this Bears defense still should be good, but if we can get a good one, 
out of Duke Shelley, who would then be under control for this season and three more at a very cheap sixth round rate, that is really, really great. Definitely worth that number seven slot. And then as the eighth thing to watch for, I've got young players written down. And I've got a couple of young players to mention, but this is really more of a quick hitter section. How does Kevin Tolliver look? How's Iggy? Uh, certainly there was an Instagram picture that surfaced of uh, Iggy looking absolutely amazing. And for those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Joel or Joel Igungli. I don't want to try to pronounce his name. Everybody around the Bears circle calls him Iggy. That's who I'm talking about. There's a picture of him, if you Google search him, that he just looks outstanding. We'll see if that actually translates onto the field. He is one of Ryan Pace's stranger fourth round picks, if only because most of Ryan Pace's fourth and fifth round picks have been down right amazing that's where eddie jackson Tariq cohen and others came from how is udfa alex bars how does rashad coward the converted defensive lineman now offensive lineman in fact offensive tackle how does he look there are plenty of bears youngsters that it is going to be really interesting to watch if they're able to develop into anything now you'll notice i didn't say an already absurdly popular player's name I didn't say Matthew Betts. Uh, oh, I did forget Dax Raymond, though. He's really good, too. Very curious to see what he's able to become. Will he replace Breckenauer? Will he back up Adam Shaheen? Will he be able to push for, not obviously he's not going to take Burton's spot, but for a true Burton backup? We'll have to see. There's a lot of hype surrounding him, especially since the Bears actually picked him, a UDFA, to do one of their Meet the Bears segments on. But we'll have to see if he's able to really become anything. Tight end is an admittedly hard position to learn. I don't know if we will see anything out of Dax Raymond just yet. But Matthew Betts is even weirder. To give you a perspective of why I keep calling this a very weird situation, let me pull numbers from a now legendary article by Arrowhead Pride back, written back in 2015 that did a statistical analysis on how commonly players at each position are able to start based on their round-to-round -round projection. Obviously, this is truly a big data attitude, as you're not going to get any specifics on this player or that player, but here's what they basically said. On the defensive line, which included both the bigger defensive linemen and the edge players, after the fourth round, fifth round starting or percentage of chance of finding a starter was 13%. Sixth round was 13%. Seventh round was 3%. And that was with the fourth round being 37%. And uh, percentages that were a bit higher as you went up the ladder, though the second and third round, very weird at 26 and 27%. So basically what you end up with when you look at these numbers, again, you have first round 58%, second round 26%, third round 27%, fourth round 37%, fifth round 13 sixth, 13 seventh, 3% is that as you get further down in the draft, there is a much lower and lower and lower and lower and lower chance of finding a defensive line or edge starter. And with seventh rounders being 3% of NFL starters, that makes me think that that UDFA uh, position that Matthew Betts is coming in at as an edge player is going to be outstandingly hard to crack the roster in. I just don't know if he's athletic enough. I really don't. I don't know if he's fast enough. The guys who he goes up against in college are very, very bad offensive linemen in Canadian college. And while I know he got drafted in the, for the CFL, and while I know he's really doing things all the right way, none of this is a direct critique of Matthew Betts' process. I just don't know if he's going to be good enough. He seems to me like he's going to be this year's Braverman, this year's Tanner Gentry, this year's Camp All-Star that just doesn't actually matter.
and I'm sure you'll see plenty of big highlights from him in the preseason. The guys who he's going to be playing against in the preseason aren't going to be very good either. It reminds me of Kylie Fitz. We actually saw Kylie Fitz flash a little bit last preseason, but in the season, he was non-existent, he basically didn't matter, and every time he was in the game, he didn't do anything at all. Matthew Betts strikes me as that kind of player, so I'm not including him on this list. That is, again, Kevin Toller, Iggy, Alex Bars, Dax Raymond, and Rashad Coward. I think those guys are the younger guys that you've got to keep your eyes open for, whether it's tweets, whether it's videos, whether it's anything. How are they doing? I think their success really, really matters. And that if Matthew Betts doesn't turn out to be anything, like I'm kind of suggesting I think he won't, uh, that you'll see the Bears use one of their two second-round picks on an edge rusher this next year. Uh, Take that 27% chance that Arrowhead Pride talks about. Try to go find a good complimentary lineman as Floyd will play his last season, probably, in 2020 as a Bear before walking away. Anyways, that's it. That's my list of eight things that I've got for you that I think you all need to pay attention to as we go to training camp and report back to you on what it is that we're trying to see. These are the things that, in my opinion, are going to be easiest to glean from training camp and most important for the Bears offseason. Certainly more important than, oh, Kyle Fuller caught an interception in practice. Oh, Anthony Miller mossed somebody, caught a touchdown. All, All those are great, seriously. But we can look back at the 2018 tape to get a better sense of who those those players are it's the new guys and the young guys that I think you need to keep your eyes on as well as a little bit of that positional stuff like Eddie Jackson's alignment and where Cordero Patterson will be in the lineup and on the depth chart in general what position is he going to be Bradley Soles, another name that I guess I forgot to mention, but I really get the impression that much like Taekwon Mizell, they flipped his position before they're going to cut him. The NFL, it's a business. That stuff happens a lot. But what do you think of this list? You think I left something off? Did I miss something really, really obvious? Do you like what I have to say? Let me know in the Windy City comments so that we can just start a discussion about what it is that you're excited about for training camp. I'm excited to be back on the mic. I'm excited to get back into podcasting. I know I've been a little relaxed, but as the season's going to get started, I've certainly got more podcast-related content planned for you as I try to hammer out some of these moments, a couple more of these videos. I've got an instructional set planned that I'm still working out the kinks and how I'm going to do it, but the idea is if you've got any questions about not only coverages, but what's a pre-snap read, how do stunts and stemming work, you know, those complicated football concepts before the season starts, I would love to put out some content that'll help you get on board with what that means, better understanding it, as well as better understanding of the Bears and how they go about implementing and doing a lot of those things. But anyways, thanks so much. You can find me over at Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's at R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, where I'm either tweeting about the Bears, tweeting about my latest project, or just generally engaging with all of y'all, however you want to be engaged with. Feel free to go follow me over there. And until next time, Bear fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. 
Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.